Amen. Because he's alive, the church is called to be alive. The church is called to be his hands and feet that we would go into this world and declare what God has called us to declare, to take the living God to those who are dying, those who are perishing. And therefore, church, we are called to ministry. You, you are called to do these things because of what he did for you, because he rose up out of the grave, because he came and filled your heart and brought salvation to you. You are called out of gratitude to be his disciples, to be those who would go forth and to declare the message into all the area, into the regions that he's placed you. And how you look at that, that will determine a big part of the difference as to how you receive that. Paul talked about that in our, our daily reading this morning. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians about how the, he, you know, he was going through all kinds of uh, difficulties because of the ministry and all kinds of difficulties. And, and Paul said, what a pleasure it is to be called by the Most High God. Amen. Is it a pleasure or a problem for you? See, if we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, it becomes a pleasure no matter how big the problems are. But if it's nothing more than just a duty or something that we're required to do, it, you know what? It doesn't matter how much of a pleasure God wants it to be. It will stop because of the problems. And I'm promising you, ministry will create problems. Right? It, it will. Therefore, God has called us to be his hands and feet. Will you do that? Will you invite a friend? Will you go get them? Will you invest in buying them breakfast? Will you take them to lunch? Will you take the opportunities that God has given to go forth and, and be what he's called us to be? Church, take that opportunity. Take the opportunity and the time to do that. Amen? Amen. All right, that, none, of that's been, none of that was the sermon, so <laughs> just kidding. I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. You can actually go to the app. The church app, in there, there is a, a, a link for sermon notes. Inside there, I place all the notes. I have all the scriptures are in there. Uh, there's some fill-in-the-blanks you can fill in, and there's, there's uh, follow right along, and, and you'll be able to stay engaged. We are back into Luke, and we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus through the eyes of this investigative reporter, Luke. Dr. Luke has done some tremendous work, and he's gone forth, and here, what he's doing is he's explaining to you and to me, he's revealing Jesus in another one of the roles in which Jesus operated. You know, Jesus operated in many, many different roles. When he came into this world, there are many different things that Jesus did. And here, Luke is sharing with us and wants us to know, to understand, begin to learn about Jesus as prophet. How many of you know that Jesus was a prophet as well? So, again, I'll say this and I want to continue to say this so that nobody gets confused. He is God. He never stops being God. Jesus never stepped away from his divinity. He added to his divinity flesh. And when he added to his divinity flesh, one of those things that came along in that addition was the role of prophet. Jesus came to preach and to prophesy. Amen? Amen. 
That's part of his ministry, part of what he did. And so with that being true, I wanted to give you some information. I thought if Jesus came in the role of prophet, then we should understand a little bit about the prophets and about some of the things that prophets went through. Because the Bible is really nothing more than a long line of prophets declaring the word of God. The prophets came and the prophets spoke and the fought, they came and, and the, the prophets are the authors of scripture. They're the ones, you read through the scriptures and the prophets are the ones who declared those things, who spoke those things, who authored those things. Now again, I want you to see the difference. A prophet is somebody that God handpicks. God places his hand upon them and he chooses that person. A priest, on the other hand, is a person, a priest has to come from a certain family line. The priest was supposed to come from a certain family. They go through certain uh, kinds of learning, trainings, and exams, and have to pass these things in order to be able to fulfill the role or to be in that role of priest. A prophet didn't go through all of that. A prophet was just simply appointed by God. God took a prophet and he took them from wherever they were and whatever they were going through and he took that prophet and he placed his hand upon them and placed the Holy Spirit in their life. And so a prophet, you don't see, and if you read through your scriptures, you'll find a prophet doesn't really, they don't come out of the synagogues. You don't see too many of the prophets coming out of the temple. Oh, they often went to the temple, but they didn't often come from the temple. They didn't come out of seminary. They didn't come out of higher learning uh, institutions. They came out of the woods. They came out of the wilderness where they lived. They lived in these places that you and I normally may not. They came in caves. Many of them had borrowed rooms in which they lived. Because, man, it was a lonely life for a prophet. They served God alone, meaning a true prophet served God and God only. And very, very often, that meant they served God alone. And that's what they went through. A prophet was somebody, a prophet, a real prophet, if you look at the scriptures, a real prophet was feared. They were, and should be. The hand of God, the power of God, the spirit of God was upon them in a time when the spirit of God had not been poured out. And so a prophet was feared because if you crossed a prophet, you might be hit with lightning. So the prophet was feared, but a prophet also was, because of the things that the prophet was called to do, a prophet, they had to walk through places and times in their life when they were fearless. They went into places confronting people, confronting the, the prophets of Baal. Pro, you know, and they were fearless. But isn't it amazing how these prophets often went from fearless to fearful? A prophet's life, man, if we really understood a prophet's life, we understand why God had to put his hand on them because nobody would have chose to be a prophet. A prophet's life was intense. A prophet's life, really, I mean, it is, if you look at them, man, it's just, it can only be described by manic depression. 
They had these high highs and these low lows. They went through some intense times. The prophet went through some intense times of some serious lows of depression because God had placed his hand upon their life. God had put this mantle on them and it was a heavy mantle. It was a weight that God had placed on them and God had called them to go places that they didn't always want to go to do the things they didn't always want to do. And then God, so, so God, he takes the prophet, places his hand on them, speaks his word into their life, and then sends them to God's people. And they go to God's people, they speak the word of God, and God's people reject them because of it. And so they suffered tremendous amounts of rejection. I mean, some of, some of us, I mean, we, we can't, you know, we can't handle rejection. Well, we're afraid that our coworker, they might not like me if I tell them I'm a Christian. We're afraid of, of even the slightest kind of rejection. A prophet's life was intense. They went through some, some crazy stuff. Now, a prophet also, and if you read your Old Testament, you will find hundreds of times that the prophets said this. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And so what that means is that the prophet was speaking on behalf of God, that God had given them a word to speak to the people and that God would speak uh, through them and they would speak on behalf of God. So they would be the mouthpiece for God. They would be the communicator for God. They would speak for God. And oftentimes they were rejected because as I said earlier, God would speak to them. They would take the word of God to God's people and God's people would reject the word that came to them because they didn't like it. The prophet would come and say, you're in sin. You need to repent. That's rebellion. That's idol worship. Turn from those things and turn back to the Lord your God. And the people of God rejected them because they came with the word of God. You know, we've all heard this statement. It's the same sun that melts the ice that hardens the clay. So the prophet would come to the people of God and, and they, they came in boldness. They came in authority. They came, they came in power. And so the, the prophets would come and the people would be afraid and the prophet would bring this word. He would declare, thus saith the word. And some people's hearts would melt. Just like today. Some of those people that would hear the words that the prophet would bring, they would fall to their knees, their heart would melt, and they would declare, I'm in sin. We saw that happen in David. I'm in sin. I'm in rebellion. I'm in folly. I gotta turn from this. I gotta stop. I need to repent. I need to come back to you, Lord. That's the response of a melted heart. And others, their hearts would harden. They'd, so the prophet would receive the word of the Lord, come to the people of God, speak the word of the Lord, and the people would become argumentative, combative. They'd become suspicious of the prophet. They would become suspicious of the word. They would become all self-righteous. You know what they, the people of God would do when the prophet, they'd become religious. 
And in their religion, they, they would reject the word that had come. And so what did they do? Well, we don't like that word. We don't like what they're saying, so kill them. And the people of God killed the prophets of God because the prophets of God brought the word that was given to them by God. And Jesus came in the line of the prophets. Jesus came in the same way. And so Jesus, in the tradition of the prophets, he comes, and what does Jesus come doing? He comes preaching, being the very word of God. And because of that, some people loved him because their hearts melted, and many people hated him because their hearts were hardened. And so what did they do? Those who hated him ultimately killed him, put him to death. Now, in the Old Testament, I know that you've all heard this name, the name of Moses. Moses was a prophet. Moses was a great prophet. In fact, Scripture says that he was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in, in a section of Scripture, he wrote there where he talks about prophets and prophecy. And again, this may rub some of you the wrong way, but the Word of God should do that. And so he talks about prophets and prophecy, and, and there God reveals through Moses that there is a way in which you can discern the difference between a true, true prophet and a false prophet. And again, church, we need to know this because there's a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of people that are out there prophesying things that are false, and, and a false prophet prophesies things that are not true. Okay, a false prophet prophesies, they stand up in, the, in the, the name of God and they prophesy things that are not true. If something is not true, it becomes, whether it's intentional or not intentional, it becomes a lie. Yep. And so there are people, false prophets, that stand up and prophesy lies. Therefore, they are empowered by the father of lies. Come on, this is just simple deductive reasoning here. They are therefore, they are inspired by the father of lies, by Satan, and not by the Holy Spirit. And the idea is to get you off just a little bit. It's like a golf shot. You know, if you're at the tee box and, and you, 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 know, I mean, you have a great drive, but if it's off just a couple of degrees at the tee box, it may not look so bad from there, but when it gets down the fairway, it's out of bounds. And listen, the enemy wants you to end up out of bounds. And so he uses these deceptive tactics to try to get us just off a little bit, but he knows that down the road it's going to take us out of bounds. And it's in these places of these lies, these places of false doctrines and false prophets and false teachings that we see the, invent, the invent, inventing of false religions. Cults come out of that. We see all sorts of ideologies that are invented spiritualities come out of that. And the intent is to lead people astray, to keep people from the cross. And so the question is, and we should all be asking, is, well, how do I know? Because they sound so good. They sound so convincing. They use scripture. How do I know who's true and who's false? 
especially when they all stand up and they claim to speak and they claim to serve and they claim to, to prophesy on behalf of God. How do I know? Moses, this, this great prophet, gives us the answer in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In verse 22, he says this, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet is the prophet has spoken it presumptuously or in his own authority. You need not be afraid of him. Why, you don't need, why shouldn't I be afraid of him? Because he's not a prophet. Amen. And this is what God has given us. So the first thing, the first indication that you and I have is a true prophet's message had to line up with God and his word. He did that in the name of God, in the name of the Lord. If they spoke in, in the name of any other little G God or any other person or in any other name, it was out of line from God's word, from God's will, and therefore this was a false prophet. This is what Moses declared. And second, this one's tough, but a true prophet always preaches what comes to pass. It always comes true. A true prophet is 100% accurate. All the time. A false prophet can be hit or miss. False prophet, you know, I mean, hey, so, you know, some of the, you know, we have these modern day, either self-proclaimed or people speak these over them, but these prophets that come up with all sorts of things. Well, how are you doing with the prophecies? Well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm 70-30, you know. Look, a false prophet, realize it, a false prophet can be right some of the time. A true prophet can never be wrong. And that's what Moses is sharing with us. In church, that means that for you and for me, as you approach Scripture, you need to be able to discern the Word of God. You need to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. You need to stop taking what men say about the Bible and start understanding what God said about the Bible. You need to be begin to dig in and learn how to eat the meat rather than just sitting back and drinking the milk. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know how to dig into the Word of God. You need to know how to understand what God is saying in His Word. You need to in your home. You need to be able to do that because you cannot believe what every teacher has to say. You cannot believe what every preacher has to say. That's why I encourage you, go home, take these scriptures, divide them yourself, begin to look into them, begin to see if that's true, if it's right, if what I'm speaking is rightly divided. Go home and study this yourself. Because listen, that's what I'm doing. I don't want to unrighteously divide the word. I want to rightly divide the word of God. So I study it out, and I go to find out what is it that God is saying in this. And then I share that with you so that you can go home and begin to dig in because you can't just take what a man has to say about God's word. You need to take what God says. So you can't, you can't just take every teaching, every preaching. Every... Listen, church, be careful about the books you read. And Lord God, let this sink in. Be careful about the YouTube videos you watch. Amen. You can't believe all of those because there are a lot of true teachings and false teachings that are out there. And sometimes the, the, the devil can masquerade as an angel of light. It sounds so spiritually good. 
and it's off just enough to get you in big trouble. There are true prophets out there, and there are false prophets. Some are sent by God and church. Some have been designed and sent by Satan to get us off base. And Moses gives us this that, you know, again, a lot of people don't like because we like our prophets. But Moses lays this out, or God lays this out through Moses. He lays out this standard by which you can know a true prophet from a false prophet. Amen? Amen. And just before this verse, in verse 15, Moses prophesies that there will come, he says, I will send another prophet. And this prophet has a capital P, prophet. He, he's going to send another capital P prophet, a big prophet, the prophet, the real prophet, the messenger, the spokesman. He's coming. He's coming. And we know that he is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the big P prophet. He is the one that is coming. Ultimately, it is Jesus, the Christ, God himself, coming into human history, intervening as the prophet. And the capital P prophet is coming to proclaim the capital T truth. He's coming to be the truth. And so from that moment forward in, in, in Genesis and then in Deuteronomy and from that moment forward, the people were in anticipation, expecting the coming of Jesus, waiting for him, waiting for the capital P prophet, the messenger, God himself was going to come into human history as a prophet. And then in the meantime, from that point to this point, there was the succession of prophets in the Old Testament. We had all sorts of prophets. We had major prophets. We had minor prophets. We had these prophets that God had sent, and God had called them to come and to declare his words. Some spoke the words. Some wrote the words. Some did all sorts of different things to get that word out to us that God would use them in unique ways because God had sent them as his ambassadors. God had placed upon them his mantle, his authority, his power, and he had sent them as his ambassadors, meaning that they would be the spokesmen for God, that when they spoke, they were speaking for God, so they were representing God to the people on earth. So God was using this connection, this conduit, through the mouth of a prophet, through the hands of a prophet, he was being the, using that prophet as the mouthpiece that would speak. So if you rejected the prophet, And again, as I said, God placed his spirit on the prophet. God spoke his word into the prophet. God sent the prophet to the people of God, and he spoke the word of God to the people. And so a prophet was rejected because they rejected the word of God that they came to speak. Come on, do you hear that? So they rejected the word, therefore rejecting the prophet. Therefore, rejecting the God who sent him and placed his authority on them. And Jesus comes. And we learned in Luke that he is God. God, he became a man. We've again talked about this over and over again, and I want to be really clear about it. That's why I talk about it so much. That he is God. He is Emmanuel. He never stopped being God. He came into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And he is the one, the fulfillment of the prophecy that Moses had prophesied. He is the, the capital P prophet, as I said. And he comes as the messenger. He comes as the one. He comes as the capital T truth to you and to me. God 
sent him. And in this story in Luke, we see that Jesus is approaching the city of Nazareth, his hometown. And we had learned earlier that Jesus, as he grew up, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. That Jesus had a passion and a love for the scriptures. That Jesus grew up in this little town called Nazareth. That Jesus went out to the Jordan River. He was baptized by another prophet. His cousin John baptized him. And in that moment, God the Son was in the water and God the Father parted heaven and spoke, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And while God the Father was speaking to God the Son in the water, God the Holy Spirit was descending in the form of a dove. We have the Trinity all right there in the same place at the same time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit coming together to place an anointing upon Jesus Christ to go forth and to do that which God had called him to do in the ministry, which was preaching and proclaiming and declaring declaring the very word of the living God. He was called to come as a minister, a pastor, a preacher, a prophet, and he came to bring the holy word of God to you and I in his fullness of presence. And God out of the waters, he came up and God by the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights and he never gave in to the temptation, he never sinned and in all of the lives of all of the people in all of the world that ever have, ever will be, he is the only one that was able to escape without sin. And God led him into public ministry and he begins as we talked about preaching and teaching. And in the first half of Luke, back a a, a month ago, we were going through this. We talked about how Jesus was going about to these places and he's gaining popularity. People are starting to hear from little town to little town about Jesus. I can't, can't you just imagine what it would have been like to have sitting, I mean, in church with Jesus preaching? I mean, he's 30, he's a young guy, he's filled with fire, he's filled with the power of God, the presence of God, he is God. And he's preaching the word, this fiery, passionate, compelling message that people are able to fully understand. People are being drawn to. People are led into this place where they're compelled to respond. They realize the authority that's coming from him. I mean, this is just amazing. And so Jesus goes out on this preaching tour where he's going from synagogue to synagogue. And the synagogues were basically, you know, it's like a church where the people would come together and the people, they would read scriptures, they would come together and they would, uh, uh, they would have time of prayer. Prayer, there would be preaching, there would be teaching, there would be song, and they would all come together. And Jesus was going from one little synagogue to the next, gaining all of this popularity as he went. And this region was, the Bible says it was the region of Galilee. And so it was a region of all these tiny little towns, these tiny little insignificant places, a town filled with with farmers and and shepherds and and those who, who would, you know, just all they had was their flock to take care of, these tiny little places. In fact, their, their, their flock was so important to them that in that day, I was reading, in that day, it was common for them to actually have their farm animals in their tiny little house with them because it had such importance and such value. There was one well they shared. So it was small little places, small little towns. And Jesus is traveling in, from synagogue to synagogue and the crowds are growing and the crowds are gaining, pop- he's gaining popularity with the crowds in these little tiny towns. And I, I can only imagine that the synagogues were probably pulling in more people than what lived in the town. 
I read this amazing story of this guy. He had a church of 300 people. The amazing part was that it was in a town of 70. I can only imagine that Jesus was bringing these, these I mean, synagogues to places of overflow, packed. Why? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And this tour continues and the fame spreads and he heads towards Nazareth. Jesus is headed home. He's a fiery preacher. He's on tour and he's coming home, the place where he grew up. His hometown. Tiny place, tiny, insignificant people. Not a big deal. And, and again, I think it's important you understand none of these towns were a big deal to anybody other than Jesus. But Jesus saw to come to these places one by one. And now he's coming home. I mean, their son is coming home. Jesus is coming. I was reading that and I thought, why is this in the Bible? Why, why didn't he take and talk about some of these towns that he was going to where he was performing miracles, where he was doing signs and wonders, where, where he was received and, and people were rejoicing at the power and authority of his teaching? Why didn't they take him to one of these churches that were packed out and they received him with open arms? Why did they decide to talk about Nazareth? I mean, it was the one place where he really struggled. Man, I, you know what? If I was preaching, I would hate it if you just, you know, the only thing you remembered or talked about was the one sermon when I really struggled. I know I've had lots of them, but, <clears throat> you know, again, that would be like, oh, man, couldn't you remember a good sermon? Why is this here? And, and again, that's what I want us to look at because I think this is vitally important to us. This is what I want you to talk about in your life groups. This is extremely important that we understand this. And so here Jesus is. He's, he's in the synagogue at Nazareth. He's come home, and he's there on the Sabbath. It's a Saturday, and it's, as, it says, as his custom was, it says in Luke chapter 4, he's there in the synagogue. And he's there, and he's ready to preach. And so the attendant comes over, hands him the scroll. He unrolls the scroll. He goes to Isaiah chapter 61, and he opens up to verses 1 and 2. And we see that Luke records that in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And he says this. Jesus says this to this crowd of, of people that have come to see Jesus, these Israelites. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now those people had heard that scripture read by many, many different people through the years. That was not an uncommon scripture. It was talking about the Messiah. They would have known this scripture pretty well. And so Jesus, he rolls up the scroll. He hands it back to the attendant. He stops and he takes a moment, I'm sure, just to look around, to get eye contact with everybody. And he sits down and he says this. Today, these scriptures, what I just read you, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, he's basically saying, I am he. Well, you can only imagine as a prophet that that drew 
a mixed response. And that's what I want us to look at here. As we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30, is the response of the people. So listen to this. Verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They loved it. This was awesome. This guy speaks really well. He's really good. And, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They were saying, Jesus, do a miracle. Or, or Jesus, perform for us. Ultimately, that's what they were wanting him to do. Do what we want you to do. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Now listen to what he's saying here. I'm, I'm going to talk about these scriptures next week. We'll focus in on this here. But listen, Jesus is saying, he's turning to these people of God, the Israelites, and he says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, Elijah the prophet, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them. None of the widows of Israel. He wasn't sent to the people of Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed. Oh, wait a minute. Excuse me. I, I skipped a verse. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. I was like, bam. It was like in your face kind of thing there. That was, that was tough. And he doesn't stop there. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in, where? In Israel, in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And we'll talk about the implications of that as we, in the coming weeks here. And when they heard these things, all, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That is a place of hateful bitterness. They were filled with wrath. Look at, there was so much wrath that they rose up, this is Jesus, I mean of Nazareth, in Nazareth, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through the midst, he went away. I, I thought, I wonder if that's the same uh, phenomenon that happened on the road to Emmaus when uh, Cleopas and his wife didn't recognize Jesus. For some reason, I don't know how, he slipped through. They didn't recognize him. They, they, I mean, how does that happen? Well, you're Jesus, so he does that. But in this place, the response of the people, at first, they received him so well. They loved it. This was awesome. Jesus, they received him as prophets often are. And prophets, prophets were accepted. They were received up until the moment that they were rejected. And in that moment, they were rejected. They oftentimes were then exiled and executed. That was the life of a prophet. It's like, oh. I think if people understood what it was to be a prophet, we would see a whole lot less prophets today. 
And so the people are turned to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, this teaching is amazing. I've never heard anybody teach like this. I've never heard anybody preach like this before. You have such authority. You have such a, a way of communicating the word. What a great communicator. Can't you see him going back and forth? What a great communicator Jesus is. I've never heard him talk like that before. I've never knew. And then all of a sudden, I mean, these people that are being held captive, they're on the edge of their seat just listening. They're like, the light bulb goes off. Wait a minute. Aren't you Joseph's son? I know you. We grew up together. You played baseball with my kids. Jesus, we watched you grow up. We watched you grow a beard. I'm sitting on a stool that you made. Wait a minute. What's going on here? This is Jesus. And it dawns on them. This is Joseph's son. These are the people that grew up with him. And I want you to hear this. These people, they are the ones who grew up. They knew him. Church, they were familiar with him. Again, I want you to keep that in mind. These are the family, the friends, the relatives. These are the neighbors. These are the people that were around Jesus. And because they were around him and because of the familiarity that they had with him, they were going to have a hard time receiving him for who he is. They were going to have a hard time receiving him as Lord, receiving him as Messiah, receiving him as Savior, receiving him as God, receiving him as the capital P prophet. Because they were so familiar. How many of you can understand that? I, and again, I, I find this amusing. I find this encouraging. That Jesus, you know, they're, they're like, he's, Jesus is he's speaking to them and he's preaching. And, and they, wait a minute, aren't you Joseph's son? And Jesus knows what's coming. And he says, well, hold, hold on. Just wait, 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 guys. Listen. Stop. Oh. Hold on a minute. Don't get, don't get all up in a bunch here. I haven't even offended you yet. And he was about to. And I thought, that's kind of cool. You know what? Every good sermon should offend you once. A really good sermon should offend you multiple times. There should be places in our flesh that are offended with what the Word of God says. But what is God doing in your heart? Is He melting your heart or are you hardening your heart? Which one is it that you're allowing to happen in you? And Jesus turns, he's like, he's saying, guys, you know what, listen, I know you're excited I'm home. I know you're excited that I'm here. I know you're excited for the crowd. I know you're excited for all the things that are going on. But Jesus knows something, and he wants to portray this to us. Jesus says to them, but a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Jesus is saying, you're going to reject me. You're going to reject me. And let me say, this principle is still very, very true. Church, a prophet is without honor in their hometown. I uh, was reading an article, and in the article, the, there was a, a 
thing, this guy who does church consulting, in the article he said, you know, uh, when I go out and I, I do church consulting or I go to some religious organization or what, one of the first things I'll do is I'll ask the people that gather together, do you guys, do you know what an expert is? And the people are like, no, what, what is an expert? And he'll tell them every time, he says, I'll tell them, it's someone from out of town. And, and again, church, that's always an expert, isn't it? Somebody from out of town. We'll receive something from out of town. It's out of our family. How many of you parents have said this? You know, your kid will come home. I, I've had this happen. I'll meet with a kid, and I'll tell them something, and I'll share with them, and they're like, oh, that's all. You know what? That's right. And it'll, like, click and go off. And then I'll go home and tell the parent, and they're like, I've been telling you that for 12 years now. Church, we tend not to listen to the people that are the closest to us. It is our human nature. We, we tend to not respect the people that we know the best. Why? Because we know them the best. And the old saying is very true. Familiarity breeds contempt. It really does. It happens. And I think that oftentimes it's understandable. I, again, I know this. If you hang out with me long enough, if you hang around with me a lot, you probably will lose some respect for me because you will find out some things you did not know. You would find out that, wow, Pastor Mark sure is a work in progress. I had no idea that there was so much progress that needed to be made. You will find those things out. And all of a sudden, you know what? You'll find that in the, in, because it becomes so obvious and becomes so evident to you that it makes it a little more difficult to hold the same kind of respect for the person that God has placed in spiritual authority here at the church. And I want you to be careful. When you're dealing with spiritual authority, when you're dealing with people of, of any kind of spiritual authority in your home or in the church or wherever, the closer you get, Oh, this is why so many wives have a hard time with their husbands. The closer you get, the better you get to know, if you, the better you know somebody from growing up. You know, this is, we see this a lot, especially in a community where there's generations that have lived and generations that have grown up together. You know what? A lot of you have grown up with each other. You want, some of you went to grade school together. That in, in a community like this, you know, you know these people, you know them because you grew up with them. You know them because they're close. You know them because they're family. And I went through this. When I finally was brought on staff to this church that I was at, I came, was brought on as the associate pastor. I had some family members, some brothers and sisters that were going to the church. And when I was brought on as staff, they didn't like that. Because now they did not like the fact that I was a spiritual authority in their life. And they didn't like it because they knew me. They had partied with me. They knew what I had done. They knew the life that I had led. They knew the people that I'd hurt. They knew all of those things. They were, they were absolutely up to date on every past activity that I had done. In church, in situations like that, the tendency will be for you to respect that spiritual authority less. And again, let me say, don't, we don't just roll over and let spiritual authorities do whatever it is. If your spiritual authority or you see some spiritual authority or somebody here at the church that's doing something that's in sin, that's in a position of spiritual authority, you need to bring that to me. To me. 
All right? If it's about me, bring it to one of the other leaders in the church. Don't, don't go around gossiping, church. Don't go tell everybody but me. I'm just doing the church a favor. No, you're not. You're trying to kill it. You're trying to divide it. You're being the hand of Satan. Stop it. Shut your mouth. Quit gossiping. Because for the most part, you know what? Spiritual leaders, spiritual authority, people in your life, you need to give them the room to be work in progress. Because we're all a work in progress. We all have to be able to be given that freedom to do the things that God is calling us to do. We're all a work in progress. Your spiritual leaders are a work in progress. Don't, don't deny that just because you knew them in the seventh grade when you took their boyfriend or girlfriend or they took your boyfriend or girlfriend for a week. Look at, don't just eliminate somebody as a spiritual authority because they made the mistake and, and they, they gossiped one time and repented and said something they shouldn't have said or something slipped out of their mouth. Give people room to grow. Give people room to be who they are. This is what happened with Jesus. Jesus came to be who he was. They wanted him to be something else. And they rejected him because he would not conform to who they wanted him to be. Jesus came to be who he came to be. Amen. And church, stop treating spiritual leaders like they're Jesus. Stop expecting them to be Jesus. Look, I, I'm very well aware of this. Most of you that know me are really aware of this. I am not Jesus. I work for him. Hey, I'm just a work in progress just like you are. I have things I'm working on in my life. I am progressing in my walk with God. And some of you, you know what? You can't look down on me because you're ahead of me in the spiritual walk and the progression that you're walking through. And neither can I look down on those who are catching up quickly. We are all in this place where God has given us and we need to give each other the right to grow, to be a work in progress because I'm a work in progress and so are you. Which means we need to be humble. Stop being so haughty and be humble. Be repentant servants. Stop being those who just think they have it all together and know where to point out everyone else's faults. That's why so many don't want to be honest with their failures, don't want to be honest with their sin like the Bible tells us to because we have so many people that are on their whole big ivory tower looking down at others, pointing their finger at others rather than looking into the places in their own life where they're progressing or growing. And honestly, when we start doing that, we start on the slippery slope of backsliding. I, again, I don't find this funny, but I find this amusing. That the people who drive the most people from church end up leaving the church. And it's that place of haughtiness, that place of pride. God's called us to be honest. He's called us to lay down our pride and to be honest about who we are, honest about our failures, honest about our faults, our flaws. And listen, I would prefer to stand up here and tell you about some of those places in my life rather than to have you find out and think I'm trying to hide it. 
I'm a totally imperfect being that God has placed in this role. And we each need to understand that me, you, any spiritual leader, that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He's not looking for the perfect, and I want you to just burst your bubble, and you're not it. Because if you were, Jesus wouldn't have been necessary. So we are all these imperfect beings, and what happens is people need to have, God has called us to this, people need to have a spiritual authority in which they can respect in their life. People need to have that, and you need to, you need to, I need to, we need to respect spiritual authority, because what can happen is that disrespect is to your own destruction. What will happen is you don't want to repent because a spiritual authority, a spiritual authority comes to you and they're coming to you as a spiritual authority and you see them as a flawed person. And when you see a flawed person come to you, even in the role of spiritual authority, they'll come to you and again, they'll come and they'll say, you know what, I love you. Again, I hate confronting people. And the reason I hate it is because so many reject it. I mean, even things that are just blatantly obvious in people's lives, they don't want to hear it. We, you know, spiritual authority will come to you and say, you know what, I love you, I care about you, and I just want you to have the best. And so listen, there's these things in your life, I just noticed this and I see this in your life, and you need to change that. You need to stop this. You need to, you know, repent. You need to turn from that thing. Stop. And what's our first natural response? Who do you think you are? Oh, you, oh, let me tell you something about you. Let me tell you about what I know about you. Who do you think you are? What do we do? The first thing we do is become all religious. I go to church all the time. What are you talking about? We get defensive. We start to, you know what? You're not perfect. I know about you. I've heard about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. People are talking about you. We've all heard about what's going on. We've all heard what you've done. Come on, we know. Who do you think you are talking to me about my little issue? Maybe you should take the log out of your own eye. We become critical towards our spiritual authorities and find ways to reject their authority in, their, in our life. Why? Because God has not placed authority in their life? No, because you do, don't like what they're saying, so you choose to see them as flawed people, which we all are. Yes. And church, that is to your own destruction. Amen? Amen? God's called us to humility, to be humble, to be receptive, to be teachable. So many people don't, I mean, you know what happens when you're not teachable? Stop learning. And when you stop learning, you stop growing, you start backsliding. You need to be learning, you need to be submitted, you need to be submitted to God's authority. And again, so I understand that when you're looking at me, I do. But But looking at Jesus... What excuse did the people have? I mean, what, what, looked at Jesus, and they did. They looked at Jesus and said, who do you think you are trying to tell me that? I know, can you imagine if Jesus, if he had any kind of pride in him at all? Who do you think you are, Jesus? 
well, I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I breathed the breath of life into you, and I can suck it back out. But no, man, you know, you can't look at Jesus like you look at me. Hey, I see all these flaws in Mark. I see all these things in Mark, or whatever elder, or whatever. You know, I see these things in him. You know, I, I see the imperfections. I see the different quirks and sins. You guys just flat out weird. You can say that about me, but what are you going to do? You're going to look at Jesus and say, you know what? I really don't trust that guy because, you know, I've seen this in his life and I've seen that. No, you haven't. If you've looked at Jesus, all you've seen is the glory of God. I mean, that is what you see when you look at Jesus. So the rejection of Jesus and this whole story, it does, it reveals something. And church, we have to understand this. So, so follow me here for a moment and I'm going to close. It's not that you can't just not respect certain authorities. But sometimes, church, and oftentimes, we will, we will reject any authority. Even good, godly authority because they rejected Jesus. And I believe he's telling us this story so that we'll understand this. That we'll, listen, your problem isn't with authority. Your problem is with God. Because God placed his hand upon a prophet in that time of authority. He gave them his authority. He spoke his word into the prophet's life. He then called the prophet to the people of God and the prophet would speak the word God had spoken. And when the people rejected his word, they rejected the prophet and ultimately rejected God. And today the word of God is filled with the prophetic voice of prophets from old, filled with the prophetic voices that we now declare. And when you reject the very word of God, you are rejecting the word. You're rejecting the one who brought the word the capital P prophet, and therefore you're rejecting God. In church, this is so important for us to understand. So important. And I was praying about this, and I, you know, in this whole thing, have we, have we become so familiar with Jesus have we become so familiar in our Christian nation? So familiar with the talk about Jesus, so familiar with gathering to worship Jesus, so familiar with the cross, so familiar. Have we become so familiar with Jesus that we now believe we can reject his word by disobedience? Have we just become that familiar that we think that we can reject the word because this is what they did in Nazareth. The prophet, Jesus the Christ, God in the flesh came to them and they rejected the word that he was bringing. Oh, they received him. I just wonder how much of that has to do with the way in which we choose to listen, to hear, receive, and obey. Ah, me and Jesus, 
which again, that's great. But listen, I, I find it offensive. Jesus isn't, he didn't come just to be your homeboy. He came to be your God. Amen. He came to be the prophet. He came to instill the fear of God into the people. And he gave us the Holy Spirit that we might be equipped to follow him. But have we become so familiar that we're like, eh, you know, take it or leave it. I go to church. I hear people say this all the time. Listen, I, hey, I don't really need all that. Listen, I, you know, I'll ask people. So tell me, when did you get saved? Oh, I've just always been saved. That's unbiblical. Nobody was born saved. You aren't just always saved. You're not. People don't like to hear that because I like the idea that I was just always saved. No, you weren't. The Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. You are born into this world in sin. You are born again in the spirit. You are born again into new life. And without that, you are not saved. Okay, I, I'm not, again, I'm saying that because I love you. But I know that there are many who think, well, I've just always been. Listen, we have got to hear what Jesus says and receive that. We can't just take it and make it what we want it to be. It doesn't work that way. He's God. We're not. And if we really want to receive him, we have to receive all of his word, all of him, all of the mantles, all of the things. We receive him, the truth, into our lives. Therefore, we can't just reject what we don't like or what we don't agree with. Or we can't do that. And Jesus turns to these people and he says, this is what's going to happen. And he's telling them, and I believe he's given, that Luke has included this by the hand of God into the scriptures so that we would hear this, because it's for you and I as well. And he says, this is going to happen. Familiarity breeds contempt. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. And church, he's telling us that this is a reflection of some of the things that are happening in your hearts, my heart. This is not, listen, Jesus, he's not declaring something about himself here. He's declaring something about us. And this is, again, where it becomes offensive because he's declaring to us that, that we're stubborn and hard-headed, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, religious, unteachable, self-righteous, contentious. And in that, you won't like the counsel that you get. You don't like the things that are being said to you. You don't like the things that spiritual authority is bringing in your life. You don't like what the word of God has to say. And so we'll push back. I don't like that part of scripture, so we'll push back. I don't need to take that part of scripture. There is no such thing as a divided Jesus. We take him all, we receive him all. Worship team, would you come back up? Church, be gracious to those that God has called into spiritual authority in your life. They're there for you. I understand that there's a lot of hurts and a lot of pains at the hand of spiritual authority. And I say, please, I, I beg, forgive though, in the name of spiritual authority. Please, let there be forgiveness. It doesn't make it right, and it shouldn't have happened. 
But those are at the hand of the enemy to try to bring the spiritual authority a bad name so that you would, again, reject them. Spiritual authority, is, they're, they're not perfect. And they're not perfect because they're not Jesus. But I do find this that, you know, if people in the scripture it could find the place to criticize Jesus, man, I'm going to be an easy target. Easy target. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? While your heads are bowed, let me ask you. Are you struggling today with spiritual authority? Submitting to, you know, to, to a man, to, to authority, to, to somebody that's in that place of spiritual authority? He's struggling because of the hurt that you experienced at the hand or at the voice, the words of somebody that was intended to be there for you that misused those hands, misused those words and in your mind gave you a, a, a definite black eye towards authority, spiritual authority. Maybe you walked through a, a religion that was dominated by a, a certain way or thing that didn't want to give you the room to grow. Listen, walk in forgiveness today. Walk in forgiveness. I'm sorry that so many have been hurt at the hand of a spiritual authority, that so many have been wounded, that we would push away all authority, all spiritual authority in our lives. And I just want to say I'm sorry, but I ask that you would bring forgiveness to your heart so that you could walk in the way that God has called you to with the kind of mantle, the kind of help, the kind of understanding that he wants to bring into your life. But I understand that lack of trust. God is wanting to, he's wanting to come home. He's wanting to come home to your heart. Maybe some of you are just completely, just flat out struggling with Jesus. I, I don't, I, he seems like Joseph's son. He seems like he's just a man. Well, you know what? He's not. And the Bible is very clear about that. But we have a hard time trusting Jesus. I know Jesus said this, but it doesn't feel like that, or I don't want this, or I don't like that. It, it doesn't doesn't fit my narrative. Church, we have to trust Jesus. You know, many of you grew up in religious homes. And because of this religious familiarity, we, we have contempt in our hearts towards Jesus. So familiar with the ideas of Jesus, with the religious ideals, with the, the you know, the, the pretty picture of the cross. So familiar that we don't feel the need to receive and therefore we reject this relationship with God. And we reject the very word of God. Meaning we reject the prophet that came with that word and ultimately reject God himself. Church, Jesus is telling us it's true. Familiarity breeds contempt. 
Lord, I pray today, let your spirit bring healing to those that are hurting. Move into this time, Lord God, to those who have been wounded, those who have been defiled, those, Lord, that have been manipulated. And I pray, Lord, for your healing touch today. I pray for the love of a gracious heavenly Father that sent his Son into the world to carry the burden of our sin, to die for our sins so that he could rise to new life and bring healing in our hearts, to come into our lives as Lord and Savior, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our pride, to save us from our way of life. And he sent the Holy Spirit then to fill us and to overwhelm us with the very presence of God in our lives. God have your way and I believe that God is speaking to some of you about some of these different things what will you do with what God is speaking to you make a decision to just say yes Lord yes Lord I receive you. I, I receive your word. Lord, I want to live for you. Come into my heart, Jesus. Restore me. Renew me, Lord. Give back the joy of my salvation. Let me walk in my first love. Oh, Jesus, come home. Come home, Lord. That I, my heart might be melted. Come home. Make that the cry of your heart.
commentary, and uh, he was giving an illustration, and uh, a pastor, famous pastor, had just finished preaching a sermon. You know, I know that in the preaching of a sermon, it's so easy to find all sorts of things and places where you don't agree, I don't like, I pick it apart. And they came up to the pastor afterwards, there was a man who came up, and he said to the pastor, he said, well, I didn't agree with this, and I didn't agree with what you said here, and I, I, didn't, I didn't like that, and he was all kind of upset, and the pastor stopped, and he said, listen, I understand, thank you for bringing that to my attention, but is that all you got out of the sermon? Come on, is that all you got out of the sermon? What is it that God is speaking to your heart? And what will you do with it when you leave this place? Church, I love you. I pray God's blessings over you. I pray that when you go today, you will go out into this beautiful world and be the light of Christ to those God calls you to. Go out there and be the church. Go be the living church. Go be those filled with the spirit of the living God. Go be the church. Amen? God bless you. Come on, let's sing this as we go. Have a beautiful day today, church.